Greetings from Quail Lakes Baptist Church in Stockton, California. Thank you for your interest in our downloadable messages. Our more recent teachings, such as Pastor Mark's current sermon series, are always available on iTunes. However, for a more comprehensive offering of Quail's Bible-based teachings from Pastor Mark and others, we offer an extensive archive of downloadable sermon MP3s on our website, as well as information on our fellowship and our ministries. Please visit us online at www.qlbc.org. These messages are also available on CD or cassette. For more information, please call our church office at 209-951-7380. We trust you will be blessed and edified by what you are about to hear. Thank you for listening. Take your Bibles, please, and turn to Luke chapter 1. That's our passage today. Luke chapter 1. Today our theme, God with us brings joy. Here's the key concept. Joy overcomes shame. Joy overcomes shame. While you're finding our passage, have you ever given or received a puppy for Christmas? Some of you probably have, or if you're not, you've seen it on TV. I think it's a part of every single Christmas Hallmark Channel special or various commercials, but if you recognize the scene, it's like a a super cute, tiny little fuzzball wearing a bright red bow around its neck very often, peeks its head out of the box, and everybody goes crazy, you know. It's a dog. It's adorable. It starts giving kisses and licking everybody, clumsily uh, falling over its oversized paws. You can probably feel the warm fuzzies as I'm describing it, right? We have some photos we want to show you, okay? There you go. There's one. Let's go to the next one. How about that guy? Huh? How about the next one? There you go. One more. Oh, how about the next one? Yeah. Yeah, that was staged, but okay. How about the next one? There you go. That's what I'm talking about. Now, I want you to know that those photos of those puppies was completely gratuitous on my part. I don't need this for the message at all. I just wanted to hear the ahs. So thank you. Thank you for responding that way. Here's a disclaimer, though. People who work in uh, animal shelters tell us that sometimes puppies that are so loved Christmas Day oftentimes get up, get, end up being neglected because we don't think this through all the time. That's not going to stay a puppy. It's going to become a dog. And there's going to need care and so forth. But I'm, no, I'm sure that uh, you, you are better than that. And if you've ever been involved in that kind of thing, you recognize that giving a puppy for Christmas is not as easy as it seems. They're hard to keep secret. Puppies don't like to be in boxes. You can't wrap it up the night before, put it under the tree, and say that Santa brought it. It's not going to be there. Timing is important. You put the puppy in the box 30 seconds before your child is going to round the corner so there he can peek out. My point is puppies are uncontainable in boxes for very long. Pretty soon they've got to come out. And it doesn't stop there. Once they come out, you want to be, be around them. You want to pass them around. Here's the puppy. And when you go to grandma's house for Christmas dinner, you bring the puppy along because you don't want to be away from the puppy. Joy is a lot like puppies, except they're not, it's not hairy and they don't make mess. But puppies 
bring out the joy, and joy also overflows. When you experience joy, you want to share it with somebody else. It kind of just ripples out when you're feeling joy. And joy is what we're celebrating and talking about this third Sunday of Advent. Luke chapter 1 is our passage, and as we go to our passage, we're picking up the story just after the angel has told Mary that she is going to give birth to Jesus, and we see her reaction starting in verse 34. So follow with me. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be barren is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. The angel says, Mary, you are going to miraculously conceive a child. No man will be involved. The Holy Spirit will overshadow you. But I want you to understand that this is not the only baby-related miracle that's happening right now. Elizabeth, your relative, is said also, she also is with child in her sixth month. Now, that is a miracle as well. Why? Because Elizabeth is old. She's well past baby-bearing age. And Zechariah and Elizabeth, Zechariah is her husband. They have been childless their whole life. And they have come to terms with that by now. They recognize that's their lot by now, never having been able to have children. But lo and behold, God has performed a miracle there as well, and she's six, month along, six months along. You can imagine Elizabeth's joy. But really, to understand her joy at being pregnant in her old age, we have to understand her pain all along. Psalm 127 says this, children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from Him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. In this culture, children allow a family to pass on the name, allow a family to build a heritage to pass on the property. Children provide more hands around the family work that needs to be done. This is basically an agricultural uh, setting, and we need many hands to kind of get the work done for the daily chores of life. But more, more importantly than that, and most importantly of all, children were a sign of God's favor. Children were a gift from God, understood as demonstrating that God is for us and that God is with us. And to not have children in this culture is to miss that statement, to be somewhat outside of that reality, to experience shame. To not have children would bear a label, barren. And barrenness asked the question, am I being punished? Is God not pleased with me? If there, is there something in my life that doesn't belong so that God is trying to get my attention? And Elizabeth would have asked those questions for a long time in her life. She would have felt the shame of being childless for many years. She most likely married Zechariah when she was a teenager. And like most couples, they expected to have children right away. They wanted children. She must have imagined a home filled with children running around. 
She must have come up with lists of names, maybe taken from the family or just names that she liked, names that she heard around, and, and she kind of doodled them on, on, the, on the lists to kind of capture them, make sure I don't forget. She wanted to have her own children. When she went to family gatherings, she didn't want to be, you know, Auntie Elizabeth. Let Auntie Elizabeth hold the baby. She doesn't have one of her own, you know. But that didn't happen. At first, Elizabeth would have dismissed the lack of children. Well, maybe it's just not right, not the right time yet. You know, just, I'm just haven't had that luck yet. Maybe the timing isn't right. Friends and family came by. They tried to encourage her for a long time. Don't worry about it. Don't worry. Everything's going to be fine. But eventually, eventually, instead of encouragement, they started offering advice. Well-meaning, well-intentioned. Have you tried this? Are you doing this? But after a while, that advice began to hurt. I don't know how long it took, but gradually, year after year, Elizabeth's hope for children slowly died. And she came to terms with the fact that something must be wrong. I'm barren. And she brought that title onto herself. That title brought stigma. That title brought shame. It was a shameful, permanent mark. And she must have grieved over the loss of her hopes. She eventually accepted that status. She would never be considered as esteemed or as worthy as those women with children in the village. She accepted her fate, and she felt the shame. And then one day, when Zechariah and Elizabeth were old, well along in years, God sent an angel to her husband. And what the angel said to her husband is back in verse 13 of chapter 1. The angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. The name John means God has been gracious. He's heard your prayers. Now, I don't think that was a recent prayer. I don't think Zechariah and Elizabeth, well until the, into their old age, are still praying that a baby will come. I think that's a long-ago prayer. But God now has heard that prayer and is now responding. That's the point of the angel. He is now resp responding with grace in your life. Your wife is going to have a baby. Now, unfortunately, Zechariah, in the midst of hearing that good news, was a doubter. He didn't quite accept it. He didn't quite believe it. And because the angel saw that doubt in his heart, Zechariah leaves that place unable to tell his wife the good news because he was unable to speak until the child came. That was the kind of the punishment for his doubt. But I imagine Zechariah going home and finding something to write on very quickly and writing down the words, you're going to have a baby. And then Elizabeth taking it. You're crazy. <laughs> and what's wrong with your voice? Right? It all seemed too good to be true. Maybe he's gone a little bit batty. Could she really open up her heart to this possibility? I mean, that's part of it, right? I mean, can I get invested in this now? Should I go along with this now? After all of these years? But from what we can tell, eventually... 
Elizabeth came around kind of faster than her husband believing the good news. In verse 25, it says, she's speaking, the Lord has done this for me. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Gives you another indication of how she felt all those years. Disgraced. But the Lord is taking away my disgrace. Look at the verse just before that, verse 24. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. As soon as she knew she was expecting, she went away for five months. We're not ex- exactly sure why. It doesn't really tell us why. But if you use what I call your sanctified imagination, you can imagine why. Maybe she understood that the people around her would not believe this blessing and this news until she was obviously, overwhelmingly, definitely pregnant. She might have imagined ridicule if she goes around saying, you know what, an angel told my husband I'm going to have a baby. You can hear the comments, kooky old woman, come on now, right? Better to hide out until there's absolutely no denying it. Or maybe she had lost children. I'm not exactly sure what the problem was. Maybe she feared losing this child also. She wanted to make definitely sure. So she hid herself away for five months, didn't go into public company. But then in her sixth month, Mary comes back into the story. So let's read, start reading in verse 39. It says, at that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. Mary is coming to see Elizabeth. You get the impression that it's very quick after the announcement that Mary has heard, and she also part of it included the fact that her relative Elizabeth was expecting. We don't know the family relationship between Mary and Elizabeth. It's kind of a general term, but it's close enough that Mary wanted to be with her. Mary wanted to experience Elizabeth's joy to kind of share that with her. She's going down to rejoice with Elizabeth in her joyful news. And Mary's probably processing her own news still, you know, just kind of going through it. How am I, how's this going to go? How, how am I going to tell Joseph? You know, what's, what is it going to be like? We're not exactly sure of all the sequence, but somewhere along the line, she travels down to Galilee, down from Galilee to Judah. Now, we don't know what town in Judah she went to, but... The estimates are she traveled 70, some commentaries will say almost 100 miles. It was, a, it was a good trip, and it was on foot. And she was by herself, all indications. That is very unusual. Shocking for a young woman to be traveling by herself, a multi-day hike, But as they say, desperate times call for desperate measures. And Mary is feeling desperate to be with Elizabeth to share her joy. And she came and she stayed. Verse 56 tells us she stayed three months. Think about that. Elizabeth is six months along. Mary comes and stays three months. Do the math. What happened was Mary, pregnant with Jesus, is likely present to assist in the birth of John, who grows up to be John the Baptist, the forerunner of Christ. 
God is organizing all the major players of the gospel already here, even as they're infants. But I want you to see how joy brings people together. This was joyful news, and Mary wanted to share that joy with Elizabeth. When you love someone, you want them to feel joy. And to be a part of that, Paul says in Romans 12, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. But very often we have a problem there. We don't often rejoice with those who rejoice. Sometimes we resent those who rejoice. Why are they getting the blessing? Why are they getting the recognition? Why are they getting the advancement? Why are they getting that answer to prayer? Where's mine? Don't resent those who rejoice. Rejoice with them. In so doing, you magnify their joy. There is a blessing in rejoicing with others because joy is contagious. Their joy will lift you up and move you on. For Mary, it's that impulse to share the joy that Elizabeth is feeling. And it's an added blessing for her. But there's more to the story here. Because if any little part of her along that journey down south, if any little part of her doubted what the angel said, If along the way, after she got away from where it all happened and so forth, and as she was was walking along, if she started to think to herself, this is crazy. I mean, can I really believe this? I don't feel any different. If there's any backtracking in what sounds like an absolute acceptance, may it be to me as you have said, if there's any backtracking at all in her thoughts, all of that went away the minute she entered Elizabeth's house. Let's keep reading. Verse 41. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. In the sixth month of her her pregnancy, Elizabeth experienced another deep moment of joy, a joy that the Holy Spirit inspires in her. It seems to me, at least, that... Elizabeth wasn't really expecting Mary. Um, Maybe this was kind of a surprise, but when Mary called out to her and Elizabeth heard her voice, the Bible says that the baby within her leapt in, in her womb. See, get the order of events here. The baby leapt in her womb, and then Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and understood what was happening. The baby responded first. Elizabeth's joy overflowed, and she she greeted Mary with this wonderful greeting, blessed are you among women. Both of them now rejoicing, the puppy of joy is out of the box, and they are experiencing it together. If ever there was a passage that emphasized the personhood of the unborn, it is this passage. If ever there was a pro-life verse in the Bible. It is this section. Because what we see here is that the yet-to-be-born John, in his mother's womb, experiences emotion. 
He feels joy and leaps for joy at the presence of Mary, the mother of Jesus. It's not just Elizabeth jumping and John going along for the ride. John was doing the jumping within her. Now, ladies, if you've had children, you know they move around, right? And they kick sometimes and change positions. Sylvia used to use an expression when she was pregnant. I think they're dancing the Macarena in there, <laughs> moving, moving a lot. I remember when Sylvia w- was expecting uh, our girl, you know, girls, uh, at, at some point she would, oh, she would have me feel on her tummy. Feel, feel, the baby's moving, feel. And I would touch it. And then every once in a while there, there would be a, like a foot that would push out and you could clearly see the, the, the outline of a foot Now, you mommies think that is so adorable. Oh, look, a little foot. No, that's creepy. No. Us guys, that is creepy. There is a person inside of you. Woo. Oh, I remember that. Elizabeth feels that baby moving inside. She she understands this baby is leaping for joy. Now, joy includes happiness, but it's more than happiness. Joy is rooted in gratitude. It's rooted in hope that is fulfilled. It's based in a relationship with a God who loves us. Joy comes from God with us. And Jesus is the source of John's joy, even though he's still within the womb. And Elizabeth, caught up in the moment, caught up in her joy, turns her joy into theology. Verse 42, in a loud voice, that's not strong enough. The Greek there it says, it says, she shrieks. She shrieked. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? She's turning her joy into theology. You see there the doctrine of the incarnation, the doctrine of the divinity of Jesus. He is Lord. He's in the flesh. Elizabeth does not allow Mary to tell her the news. Now, I imagine that Mary had been rehearsing the news. While walking down to Judea, I I imagine that she's been kind of practicing how she's going to explain her own situation to Elizabeth. Now, she's coming to rejoice with Elizabeth, but, you know, she has to say something. Okay, Elizabeth, this is kind of complicated. You don't need to sit down. She had rehearsed it, no doubt, in her mind. She didn't get to it. Elizabeth doesn't let her get to it. She, she shrieks out the inspiration that the Holy Spirit has given to her. The words of the angel are true. You are pregnant. You are blessed. And the blessing comes because of the child that you will bear. He is the real blessing. He's the source of blessing for all. Our hope is being fulfilled. The promise that was made to Abraham so many centuries ago is now coming to pass, and I am here to witness it. Long ago, Genesis 12, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. That was the promise God made to Abraham. And now, after years of talking about that in the synagogue, after years of reading that passage, it's here. It's you It's your child. Blessed are you among women. C.H. Spurgeon once said, A little faith will bring your soul to heaven, but a great faith will bring heaven to your soul. Elizabeth has a great faith. She believed that God's promise to Abraham is coming true. 
a great faith. She saw it all coming together. Already Emmanuel, God with us, was unleashing joy even though he wasn't even born yet. That joy is rippling outward. Now Elizabeth, three months later, gave birth to John, who becomes John the Baptist, and her joy continued to ripple out. It says in verse 58, her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. There it is. Joy touches others. Joy is contagious. We want to catch joy from one another this Christmas season. We want to spread joy to one another this Christmas. Elizabeth was experiencing a miracle, a miracle that healed for her a lifetime of hurt, a lifetime of pain and disrespect, shame. Joy overcomes shame every time. It's good news for us because each of us has been tainted in a way by a spiritual infection called sin, and sin leaves a residue. Sin leaves a stain of shame. Maybe the memory of that shame jars you awake at night, or maybe you avoid certain places in town. You just can't go down there anymore because the memories are too strong. It might have altered your life's possibilities. It might have set you on a new course, Maybe the memory of the shame, the shame itself kind of cut people out of your life and it cost you dearly. Joy overcomes shame. The joy of knowing that you are loved, you are valued, you are welcomed, you are forgiven by Jesus our Savior and brought into a new family of faith, the people of God. Joy erases the old labels, the joy of knowing that I am a child of, of God because of faith in Jesus Christ, erases the label. It's no longer that old label. Now it's a new title. The title is forgiven, justified, pure, new, free, joy. And years later, Jesus was talking to his disciples about his going to the cross, and he referenced joy, interestingly enough. He says this in John 16, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. See, Jesus knew the resurrection was coming. He knew that that would set them on a course of changing the world with His truth. And as we are moving through this Advent season, we're moving through it day by day, week by week, building that expectation of joy to celebrate Jesus' first coming. But also, what we're doing is we're moving through this time, building an expectation of seeing Him in His second coming. There is a greater joy, a greater joy than we can ever experience here in this life. If we know Christ, it'll be an eternal joy with Him in glory. Joy. Mary traveled from Galilee in the north to Judah in the south to rejoice with her relative Elizabeth. That area in the north, Galilee, very often in the Bible is called Galilee of the Gentiles. The word Galilee means region. So when we say the region of Galilee, we're saying region twice, the region, region. That's just a little tidbit. Anyway, 
Galilee of the Gentiles. Why is it called Galilee of the Gentiles? Because it is the region that is closest to where Gentiles lived, what is now Lebanon on our map in Syria. That, they bumped up against that. So Galilee of the Gentiles, as you go north in Galilee, you get closer to Gentiles. But God, through the prophet Isaiah, 700 years before this, prophesied that it would be Galilee of the Gentiles that would be the source of the Savior. He says this in Isaiah 9. In the future, we will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as a people rejoice in the harvest. This was always the plan. From Galilee, joy would come. God with us brings joy. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can look back and see the way the Scriptures weave together to demonstrate that you have history well in hand. You have a plan at all times, and you are always working. And what you want to deliver to us is joy and hope and love. And Lord, we pray that these are the things that we would spread and be about in this Christmas season. We pray, Lord, not only would we sense your nearness and the joy that it brings, but that we would be influ influential to bring joy to others because we know that's what you would want. So help us do that. We love you, Lord, and thank you for the chance to celebrate the, the meaning of Christmas once again this year. We rejoice in what you're doing. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. The team is here to lead us in a closing song. Let's stand together as we sing. Oh, yes, I will forever. 
that nothing can stand against. I choose to praise, to glorify, glorify the name of all names. That nothing can stand against. Oh yes, I will lift you high in the lowest valley. As always, after the service, we'll have prayer counselors next to the organ by the prayer table. They'll wait for you to come forward, and maybe there's an issue in your life for which you need prayer. They will represent you to the throne of grace. Maybe what it is that you need to come to Jesus and meet the Savior for the first time, they would love to introduce you to the Lord that they know. But first, let's all pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you. As we leave this place, we leave determined to represent what you are doing in our world. We leave willing to tell the story of the hope that we found in Jesus. Help us to do that well. Watch over us in your grace and in your mercy. Use us in ways that bring you glory, we pray. For we ask all of this in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thanks for coming.